morning, everyone. Oh, hang on, I need to put my password in. So back in January, we started on a series around Love One Another. And uh, we're still on it, and we've got a few more weeks to go as we continue to look at why and how and the what we are exhorted to love one another. So, uh, I was 19 years old once. Um, there's a, you can just about make me out on the right-hand side. And, uh, and through those purple doors behind me uh, was the place that I was taken by my ravishing girlfriend of the time, who's now my ravishing wife, uh, and what? Well, I need to say something nice about you, don't I? Okay. Like, so we just, we need to try and convince everyone that we didn't, you know. And uh, so behind those purple doors was the place I was first taken um, by my all right girlfriend of the time, um, who's now my all right wife of now. And... Uh, and uh, I, I wasn't a Christian at all, even though I'd been to a Christian youth group um, a little bit. Uh, but anyway, I was taken along. And I mean, I really stand here today as a brilliant example of you just don't know what might happen when you invite someone to church. Okay? I only went this once. I was like, okay, that was a bit strange. Those people look like they're on something. Um, but that thing looks good. And, uh, and it was that night uh, back in 1992 that... Really, just having been in, in worship, not really got it, not really understood it, that I decided to just pray a simple prayer. And that simple prayer was, okay, God, if you're there, show me. And, uh, and, and I had the most amazing experience where the Holy Spirit kind of just filled this kind of little university dorm room that I had, touched my life powerfully in a way, and I have not been the same since. It just, you know, that is kind of where my journey with Jesus I was going to say where it began. Actually, it began when I started going to the Christian youth group, and these Christian youth leaders started to pour into me. And, uh, and so, um, but then, kind of, that was the place we went on a Sunday. That was the place we went, and I learned to kind of worship, and I learned to kind of understand a bit of the Bible as people taught it from the front. Then there was one Sunday when they started talking about these things that they called house groups. And, uh, and I thought, okay, that sounds interesting. I'm a long way from home. I was really missing my mum and dad. Wasn't at all. Um, just delighted to be a long way away. Not that I haven't got, have got a ravishing mum and a ravishing dad, um, of course. And, and, and I just thought, I want to do this. This sounds good. And so I kind of, I don't remember this, but the light group leaders do. So kind of like all six foot four of me, kind of looking awesome. And... Um, <laughs> Ravishing, indeed. <laughs> kind of like bounded up to this kind of uh, middle-aged couple, as I understood them. They were probably in their 30s, to be fair. But everyone looked middle-aged when you're 19 years old. Just bounded up to them and said, Hi, I want to join your house group. And apparently they were like, oh. And, uh, but anyway, they welcomed us in. And it's a, an amazing couple called Richard and Viv. And I have to say that that decision at that moment probably did more for my early days and my early weeks and months and years of following Jesus than kind of anything else. We had an absolutely fantastic time. We did. So I was about, it was about two years until I left university. And every, 
week, every other week, I can't remember exactly which, me and Josie and my friends, Charlotte and Dave, who are up there, we turned up at their house. And it was, it was brilliant in all sorts of ways. We learned the Bible, we studied, we asked questions. We had this one old lady that kind of fell asleep, normally around about quarter to nine. Uh, we had some singing, because Richard was one of the worship leaders, and so some of the singing was brilliant, some of it not so much. And, and I tell you what, this, this small group of people that were middle-aged people, young people like I was once, this old lady, this was church, and this was community. This is where I learned to love Jesus. You know what they did? They basically did what it says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 to do. They spurred me on towards love and good deeds. That's what, by opening up their home, by opening up the Bible, by doing some worship together and all of that, they spurred me on to love and good deeds. This is what the writer says in the book um, to the, the, the book of Hebrews. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. They spurred me on. They spurred me on to love God. They spurred me on to love my neighbor. They spurred me on to love one another. And they spurred me on to do good deeds. Not for it just to be love that just sits in my heart, but something that kind of works itself out in action. And today, I'm so grateful. And so I want to give you today three brilliant reasons. One, two, three. Okay, it's as easy as one, two, three. Three brilliant reasons why meeting together in homes, what we call light groups in this church, what they call house groups, you get different names for it all over the place. Three brilliant reasons why I believe that if you truly want to learn to love one another, you truly want to learn what it is to love Jesus, that I think that this is absolutely crucial. By the way, if you're sitting there thinking, I'm so busy, oh no, he's going to guilt trip me into trying to join a light group, okay? No, I'm not. Please don't do that. Please don't, please don't think. There's no guilt in any of this. If you are too busy, then you're too busy. That's all right, okay? But let's open up our minds and think about this. So brilliant reason number one. And I find this to be one of the best reasons for most things in life. Jesus did it, okay? Jesus who is right at the center of our faith. Yes, he's our Lord. Yes, he's our King. But he's also the model for life and the model for living. And Jesus had a small group. So if you were to go out onto the streets of Bradford, and admittedly in modern day culture, not a lot of people kind of know much about Jesus, do they? In fact, I think a recent census said that around about 40% of people don't even believe he is in historical character. That's what we're up against. But if you were to ask people, ah, how many disciples did Jesus have? You'd probably get an answer back, yeah? Most people would know, and they would say, 12. And, of course, they'd be wrong. Because um, Jesus had a lot more disciples than 12. But he's famous for having 12. Because Jesus had a small group. Jesus had a group of Men, they were men. By the way, he had women in a slightly wider group as well. But in this particular group, he had 12 men. A right motley crew, but that's what he had. And he was famous for having 12. And so he had this gang, this crew, this group, 
who he taught and he trained. And uh, you just see, there's just a few Bible verses. I'm not going to read through them up on the screen. So you can kind of see just mentions of the 12 did this and the 12 did that. And he did kind of what people do in small groups, in light groups, in our context. Some of the stuff he did. So he did public teaching. And then he said, right, come away with me. And then he explained it to them a little bit more. So everyone else is kind of going, don't really get that. <laughs> Genuinely. And he's like, right, come on. Let me explain this to you. Let me unpack this for you. So he took them away. He did that. It was this group that, after he'd done a long day of ministry, whether he'd been kind of feeding thousands of people, whether he'd been healing people, at the end of the day, he would often say to people, guys, come away. Okay, we need some rest. We need some chill time. We need some downtime. Let's get away together. Let's go and just be a group together. When he knew the end was coming, well, the beginning of the end, or the end of the beginning, Anyway, the thing that we celebrate at Easter, when he knew that the crucifixion was coming, it was them. It was that group. It was this 12. It was like, I want to share one last meal with you, one last Passover. Come on. You're my close ones. You are my group. You're the ones I want to hang with. He's the one that he, they were the ones whose feet he washed and said, you do this for others because you serve like I have served you. It was this group that Peter and James and John, who went on to be the leaders of the early church, they were in this group. This was his group. This were his people. But he was like, I'm going to pour myself into it. It doesn't mean he didn't have others. We know he had others. We know he had plenty of others. But this was an important group for him. I just think, if it's good enough for Jesus, if it's his model, and if it's his practice, then it should be our model and our practice as well. Really quite simple and straightforward, I think. Doesn't need too much explanation, so I'll leave it there. Brilliant reason number two. Now, for me, often it's like after I've looked to say, does Jesus do it? I then see, what do we see in the Bible, in Scripture, the early church doing? What do we see the very first Christians, the one who heard it firsthand from Jesus, what did they then go on to do? And guess what? They did it as well. Okay? The early church was a network of churches. I've put that in inverted commas. You'll see why shortly. Congregations that met in homes and the temple. I think this is important to see. And so really all I'm doing is just trying to help you understand what the church looked like when it was first formed after Jesus had walked the earth, crucified, resurrected, poured his spirit out upon the church. And this is what they then did. So just a couple of, couple of, kind of points in Acts. Acts 5.42. It says this about the church. It says, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. By the way, is that text big enough? Can most people, can anyone not read it? Okay, Steve. Okay, you better listen then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, I can make it, I'll make it slightly bigger. That's the main reason I'm asking. So they, every day they were in the temple courts and they were from house to house. In Acts 2, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, this does say every day. 
in our extremely time-poor culture, I'm not going to try and suggest that every day we should be meeting with one another to do this. In actual fact, you can kind of see, at least that it suggests as you go through the, the letters in the New Testament, that they started to meet more like once a week, okay? That was, they, that's where they kind of met in the temple, because it kind of says on the first day here, on the first day there, although they probably did meet more often than that. And, um, you know, one of the things I thought a bit strange... Because kind of Jesus came, in a sense, to do away with the whole temple system. Jesus came to bring what we call a new covenant, a new agreement between God. Jesus came to kind of, in a sense, kind of move on from the, the, the kind of restrictiveness of Judaism into good news for everyone. So why did they keep going back to the temple if they'd been set free from all of that? Well, the, the reality is that Kind of, yes, they had been set free, although they hadn't really understood just how set free they had been. That got kind of revealed as the early church went on. But they believed, rightly so, that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the promises they had. So that's why they kept going to the temple. They kept being good Jewish boys and girls, following many of the commandments, but realizing that Jesus had done so much more. So they kept going to the temple, but they also met from home to home. And so kind of people that say, oh, you know, church should not be about big gatherings like this because that's not what they did in the New Testament. Well, that's not actually true. But people who say church that should just be like this also isn't true either. It's a, it's a kind of a joining of the two things. So they also met in homes. And actually, it was in homes... It was in homes where my understanding of the scriptures is that that is where church really happened. Yes, they went to the temple. Yes, they did all of that stuff. They met together. They went and they proclaimed the good news. They were evangelizing people to say, you've really got to believe in Jesus. You know, he is the fulfillment of everything we believe. But actually, it's in homes that church really happened. It was in homes that people identified themselves by which church they are a part of. So if someone was to ask you, well, which church are you a part of? In fact, they probably won't say that. They'll say, which church do you go to? Which is a stupid question. You don't go to a church. You are a church. Okay? It's not something you go to. Okay? It's a bit of a bugbear in mind. Joseph's thinking, oh, no, he's off again. So my ravishing wife is thinking, oh, he's off again. You can't go, you, you can't go to the church. Church is a group of people who meet together. You can go to a church meeting. You can go to a church service. Hello? <laughs> Brilliant. Put it on speaker and everything, yeah. <laughs> and uh, awesome. But you would say, oh, light church. Hopefully you would say, I'm a part of the light church. And it's just like, well, people wouldn't have said that back then. They're more likely to have said, well, actually, I'm a part of the church that meet in Jenny and John Biglin's home, yeah? Or I'm part of the church that meets in Faraha's house because that is how they identified themselves. And so kind of we can, is this it? No, next one. That'd be great. Thank you. So yeah, so in 1 Corinthians, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord and so does the church that meets at their house. Okay, this is how they identified each other. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha, it's a bit of a maniac. Um, and um, 
I haven't been told off for an inappropriate joke yet, and I've been lead pastor for a couple of months, so I thought, you know. Um, and the church in her house, okay? And Philemon, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. And so, kind of, their identity was in the homes that they met in. This will have been, this will have been where they did the stuff of church. This would have been the place. As we read in the book of Acts, this is, would have been where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is where the Holy Spirit, oh, sorry, computer's frozen. This is where the Holy Spirit will have moved and have given them gifts, gifts of prophecy, gifts of speaking in tongues, gifts of words of knowledge. When we, when we read all the stuff about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this is mainly where they would have been exercised rather than in the temple courts. This is where they would have broken bread together. Communion would not have been a, a queuing up to a, 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 a table type thing. This is, it would have been in homes that they broke bread and in homes that they drank the wine and remembered Jesus' um, death. This is where they would have sold stuff and they'd have brought what they'd sold and laid it at the apostles' feet so that needs could be met. You know, we are so culturally conditioned in the church to think of it differently. This week, uh, I had the privilege of visiting with someone who is struggling with a long-term illness and got to go with my mum, who's doing the kind of the ongoing pastoral support, and to come alongside and to listen and to support and to pray um, for this young lady. And, uh, and she said something to me that I thought was quite ironic, given what I was about to speak on this Sunday. She said, oh, I haven't made it to church for quite a while, but I have been able to go to light group. To which I said, bad theology! <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I was just joking. <laughs> just like, and people, you do, don't you? Oh, I haven't managed to make it to church, but I can still go to light group. It's just like, oh. if anything, it should be the other way around. We've been, we've been wrongly conditioned and, and, and I share this, and this is something that I'm, I'm personally passionate about. Because Jesus said, love one another. And as I started this, this series off all those weeks ago, you only really love one another when you get to know one another. And you don't get to know one another in a huge gathering like this. You get to know one another when you are together. Some of this... It's just around language. Some of this is around just the language that we use and our understanding. So, I listened to quite a bit of preaching um, from a church called The Meeting House in, um, in Canada. And they use the term home church instead of house group, light group, life group, whatever group it is. They use the term home church. And I remember preaching in a church in Manchester as well, and they use the term house church for a small group that meets together. And I think it's a much better explanation than just a group because it sends the message that that is church, that that is the place where it happens. The word church in the Bible 
is translated from the Greek word ekklesia. So this word existed before the church existed. So the Greek word ekklesia basically means a group of people who have been called out of their homes. So back then, quite often if there was to be like a, a kind of a, a village meeting or a town meeting or something they need to resolve, what they did, they called people out of their homes and they, and they, all, they, they kind of met together in the village square or wherever it was. And the term for that was an ecclesia, a group that were called out of their homes to meet together. And, 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 and this is the word that, that, that they used in the New Testament. So when you read church, you're reading the Greek word ecclesia. And it kind of went on to get a new meaning. And this new meaning and new understanding was that, okay, we as Christians have been called out, not so much of our homes, but called out of the world around us to be different and to bring a different kingdom and a new kingdom. So we are the new ecclesia, the new called out ones. And what do we do? We gather together. And so the translation of ecclesia would be much better translated assembly or congregation. Don't worry, this, is a little bit this stuff's a little bit deeper. We're going to make it very, very practical. Please don't switch off. So when the Bible first got properly translated into English like fully translated by a guy called William Tyndale. The word church, even though the word church existed back then, did not get used. So when you read it, perhaps most famously, the one-time Jesus, I think it was a one-time Jesus, don't correct me if I'm wrong, but Jesus rarely used the word church. But when he did, the one time he was famous for it, was, is he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my ecclesia. I, that, so, so Tyndale would have translated that. Excuse me. Tyndale would have translated that congregation. I will build my congregation. I will build my assembly. The English word church actually did exist. It came back from Anglo-Saxon times. And it was used to refer to what? Buildings where people went to worship. It's an old Anglo-Saxon word. Which is why he kind of translates into German, Kirche, anyone who speaks German. Whereas if you go into the more Latin languages, so Spanish, Iglesia comes from Ecclesia. You can see how that went from Ecclesia to Iglesia. You can see how it went from Ecclesia to the French Eglise. They, they basically kind of took the word, put a French accent on it, <laughs> and like, oh, you can say Ecclesia, Eglise, where is Eglise? And... Uh, by the way, whilst we're talking Spanish, if there's any Spanish speakers here in the room who have not signed up for lunch at me and Joseph's, we've got arroz, habichuela, carne, so do come back to our house for dinner afterwards. Anyway, back in the room. This is what it was about. It was a congregation of people. Whether they met in the temples, whether they met in homes, and it's actually in the homes they had their identity, we are the church that meets at so-and-so's house. They came, they studied, they broke bread, they ate together, they exercised the gifts of the Spirit, they did all of that. And I have to say, I can't tell you how passionate I am that we as a church would value church in homes so highly. 
Most churches count numbers on Sundays and, they, and, and, and they're happy if they get to 50%, 70% meeting in homes. I'm so radical. Oh, yeah, I'm so radical, like. <laughs> I'd be very, very happy to have 100% meeting in homes and 70% meeting here on a Sunday. With all due respect to those of us who preach and lead worship. By the way, I think we can do both and should do both. Because they both fulfill very different kind of things within us and, and, and meet that. But I just think it's so valuable. So, let's just do a very quick exercise just to keep you awake. Okay. So, everyone's probably got someone in front of them just about. Yeah? If you haven't, they can go a row forward. I want you to stare intently at the back of their heads. Okay? If you're on the front row... First of all, thank you for sitting on the front row. It's often empty, and it's such an empty experience. So thank you, Kurt Beerson. Thank you, Richard, for so consistently sitting on the front row. So if you're on the front row, you just can't join in. Everybody else, stare at the back of the head of someone in front of you. Okay? You're not going to be asked to do anything. Okay, just stare at the head of the person in front of you. <laughs> you don't need to comment on haircuts, because those of us that don't get compliments will feel left out. Keep staring. I'm going to ask you a few questions. What are they thinking? How are they feeling? Are they happy? Are they sad? Are they at peace? Worried? Are they pleased to see you? Not so much. You can't know someone if all you do is stare at the back of their head. You can only know someone face to face. You can only know someone face to face. That is why I'm really passionate that church should be done face-to-face as much as possible. Now, I understand that that can feel awkward at times. I understand that even getting to know new people can be difficult and awkward. To the extent that, jo- I mean, me and Josie, we've been looking at people signing up for kind of like meals at people's homes. By the way, amazing, amazing sign-up for people being prepared to host. Good response to that particular preach. Didn't realize I also had to do a preach on being prepared to go to other people's houses and receive the gift of hospitality. Yeah? And houses of people that you don't actually know. Because you look at it and kind of like, wow, really? Really? Love one another? We can't love one another if all we do is just go back to our own homes and eat food. Face-to-face is how you can truly be loved. Face-to-face is how you can discuss the bits of the Bible that you maybe don't totally see eye-to-eye on. Face-to-face is where you can be prayed for. Face-to-face is where you can be known. Who knows who this is? It's an artist called Sia. Um, most famous song, anyone want to sing it? 
wanna swing from the chandelier. There you go. That was for my daughter Evie. And I go, oh, I can't believe he's embarrassed me as well. And she became famous for basically refusing to show her face in public. And you might think, why? I can understand why. Horrible life as a pop star, media star, where everywhere you go, everything you do is being judged. Everywhere you go, being interrupted, being watched, being mobbed, all that sort of stuff. And so she's just got this beautiful, beautiful voice. And she was like, right, I'm going to go faceless. People are not going to know who I am. And then obviously everyone tried to take photos of her when she didn't have her ridiculous wigs on. And um, she was scared. She was scared to be known. And it's understandable that she was scared to be known. Because being known as a pop star is not a happy existence. Unfortunately, sometimes we can be scared to be known as well. We can be scared to be known. And so instead of putting a wig on or whatever, we just think, I'm just not going to sign up for that. I'm going to keep church in a place where all I'm doing is staring at the back of someone's head. And that way, I will protect myself. But, but actually, what you do is you stop the life of God. You stop his spirit being able to move in your life. If you stay hidden away like this, he cannot form you into the image of his son in the way that he wants to. Being in a small group was good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for you. It was the very basis of the early church. And face to face is the only way to be truly known. Because only when we're truly known can we truly know God in all of his fullness? And can we become a community that really does love one another, is a strong family that is discipling one another? It all happens here. So, practically, what does that mean in the light church? Well, I'm not renaming light groups home churches because I want to have that discussion with those who run our light groups. And... Um, some amazing people who sacrificially open up their homes, and I'll introduce you to them. Um, I'm not going to ask you to come out, because I've been Facebook trawling, and I've got photos of all of you. <laughs> Couldn't find a photo of Steve Sheldon, by the way, um, and uh, the fact that no one's laughing means that no one's bothered watching my uh, video on baptisms, which is fine. Um, I'd suggest you go back to the Light News, click on the video about baptisms, and you will be in for a little bit of a treat. It's funny. Anyway. So I'm just going to tell you who runs our light groups, who leads them, who hosts them. Sometimes they don't host them in their homes. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they move all around. So very, very quickly, um, we've got Tarzan and Jotika who meet in Clayton fortnightly on Wednesdays. Um, let's, let, let's, let, let, let's not do cheering and clapping, okay, because otherwise it'll start to feel like a kind of like contest, yeah? <laughs> you know, because um, some leaders that get a huge cheer and others that don't, and then We'll need the prayer ministry team to help them get over it and all of that. So let's just do one big clap at the end, okay? So we've got Tarzan and Jotika. Then we've got um, John and Jenny Biglands. Jenny in her pajamas. I thought she'd enjoy that. I can't believe she's not here. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the fact she's not here, okay, I just want to say this. Because 
many of you have grown up in church where if you don't turn up on Sunday, it's, it's this supposed black mark, yeah? And John, Jenny and John are great friends of mine. And I'll tell you what, I don't mind them not turning up on Sunday because I know how consistent they are of having church in their house. And I, for me, I salute that, I praise it, I celebrate it. And I just want to let you know that is how I like church to be done. Moving on. By the way, they're full. Don't go and ask them about it. Um, Johnny and Jill Viner, they meet in lots of different places, Shipley, Belden, every single week on a Tuesday, they're almost full. Next, Dave and Nikki Cook, they meet in Wilsdon fortnightly on Tuesdays. And... Uh, so Helen and Grace run a young adults group. They meet in Shipley every Wednesday. But if anyone doesn't like their photo, you have to come and see me afterwards. Rachel, I thought it's a lovely photo. You, Rachel. Um, kind of like, you get another young adults group, meet in Carverley and Thornbury every Wednesday. Um, Faraha and Steve meet fortnightly in BD3 on Wednesdays. Again, also almost full. You can see where we're going with this. Um, the lovely Jane and Jan run a ladies' group. They meet twice a month, Tuesday mornings here at the Light Center. So they don't meet in a home. Okay, we've checked that God can still meet you there. It's all fine. It's all good. So they meet at the Light Center. And, um, and then we've got some different youth groups. This is just a picture of the lads' group that meet on a Tuesday. There's a girls' group that meet on a Monday. And there's a youth light group that meets on a Friday. And that is kind of like what we've currently got going on within the church. So it's kind of two things. It's a really, really practical talk, this, okay? It's not going to hopefully go too much to the heart. Although maybe, maybe some of you have thought, you know, I talked about being face-to-face and you think, you know what, I don't like the sound of that. If that's true, please come and see the prayer team afterwards because that is something stopping you growing in God. So maybe you want to join a group. Um, Can I just say here, please, I don't want to guilt trip anyone. You can totally and utterly be a really great Christian and just do church on Sundays. You really, really can. And I know some of you may be kind of like very busy lives. The thought of trying to fit a regular evening thing in just is not possible. It just isn't. Okay, that's okay. No condemnation here. But I'd love as many people as possible to be involved, to be engaged somehow. And so if you would like to, then please drop me an email at the moment, kind of, I will, all I will do is point you in the right direction to the right group. Speak to Tarzan if you think I'm um, too scary. Um, and um, yeah, but then also, I just want to say before we finish, a lot of those groups are full or almost full. In fact, I counted it up that kind of according to the official roll call and register, we've got around 120 adults engaged in light groups as a church, which is really, really fantastic. Um, but as you can see, there's only so many groups for those people to go around. Maybe there's just one or two or three people or couples who maybe could think, actually, I could step into this. I could, I could make a difference in some people's lives. Because being part of a small group is not just about what you receive, it is also about what you give. It's about how, as Gareth spoke to us brilliantly two weeks ago, about how you, you, you spur one another on to love and good deeds. And it might be that I might just kind of like approach some of you and say, you know what, I think you could do this. Anyone who lives in the south of Bradford especially, kind of maybe, maybe you could kind of step into this. Maybe you could step up and say, yeah, actually, you know what, I could do this. Or maybe you could host it in your house 
but you think, I don't want to lead it. Because sometimes there's people who think, I want to lead it, but I haven't got enough room. We can make that work too. If you sense God's spirit just nudging you, prodding you, do come and see me afterwards. Send me a message one way or another. Be known. I love Sunday mornings. I love the worship. I love hearing people open God's word or bring a topic. I realize I haven't, this hasn't been Bible heavy. This is a bit more topic based. But I love hearing what people have got to bring. I love having somewhere that all the different ministries can invite people as a first port of call for church, which this is absolutely fantastic for. I love it that our kids get the chance to be invested in by some brilliant kids workers. All of that is brilliant. But I really love it when people are face to face, learning to follow Jesus together. I'd love it if you join them, if you don't already. Thank you.